You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Eric Barton. We're so glad you've joined us today, and as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter, at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. So, uh, Monday, I'm talking with Heather, and she asked me, she goes, hey, so what are you teaching on? And so I, I had the opportunity, I got to do like the... Uh, the over-spiritual thing and just say, oh, Matthew 11, and then I don't say anything else, and you know, as if she knows every single verse in scripture of what that lines up to mean, and I said, I don't know, I'm teaching on, uh, teaching on rest, and she goes, really? Yeah, like, you're teaching on rest? <laughs> yes, I am, huh, what does that mean? Because you're horrible at that. <laughs> like, Thank you, Captain Encouragement. I'm ready to go. But reality is, is she's right. I'm horrible. Historically, I've been really horrible at rest. In fact, if I'm honest, I'd even say that I would associate rest with, even though I know it's not the same as laziness. Like, that's, why would anyone want to do that? It's not productive. It's not helpful. It's not fun. I even had a, a business venture I did with a guy once in uh, we had this deadline at the end of the week and we started planning out this week of what are we, what are we gonna do to uh, you know, be able to get all this stuff done that we need to get by the end of the week and our Monday and then Tuesday and Wednesday we've got that meeting so it's gonna be a real late night and then I start mapping out Thursday. He goes, hey, we, we ought to probably uh, plan some rest in there. And he wasn't joking. And all I could think of is what a wuss. Who, <laughs> for real? who is this guy? But the reality is, is he was right. And, and my view of, of rest was, uh, was wrong and, and unbiblical. Uh, so in the last really several years, uh, God has and is through his word and through people and my wife, uh, honestly transforming me in that. And, and reshaping my view of what rest is, what God says rest is, and why we even have rest. And so that's, that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, let's turn to Matthew chapter 11, and I'm going to start here in verse 25, and we'll, uh, we'll run through this. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from your wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All these things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. When we often think of rest, especially here in churches, uh, often we think of maybe taking time away. Uh, it might look like a, a Sabbath. Maybe it's something you do once a year or once a month. Um, maybe once a week. Some people, as you think of rest, it might even be what you think of as a, as a quiet time uh, that you have in the morning time, which, on a side note, needs like a 
PR makeover, that whole word quiet time. It sounds like a poor punishment for four-year-olds. But uh, maybe that's what you think of when you think of rest. But here, when we look at that Jesus has come to have rest for your souls, that, that's not something we do, right? He's not saying, hey, come to me so that you can have a quiet time in the morning. Now, th- this rest for your soul is something that, that we discover, that's something that's put on us or, or that we find that we have. So it's a different type of rest. There's the rest like a Sabbath, type rest, and then there's a rest that is a condition of our heart or a condition of our soul. So Matthew 11 is talking about this condition of our heart type of rest, this type of peace. But, but I first want to talk a little bit about this other type of rest, this Sabbath-like rest, because I think it's going to give us context to this Matthew 11 rest. So a couple of bullet points here on this Sabbath-type rest. First, rest isn't a necessary evil in order to do real work, right? This is, th- this is a thing that I often would fall into mistakenly. But we even look at the Genesis account of creation, that God worked six days, right, in order to form the universe and everything in it, and then he rested. So it makes me ask, why did God rest at that point in time? Was he just so tired from all that work? No, right? He's God. He has an infinite amount of energy and creativity, and he could have kept going, but he decided, no, I'm resting. He wasn't in need of a power bar to make it maybe another day. He was fine. It was an intentional thing that God did. In fact, if you look at humanity, right, we were created, and our first day in existence was the Sabbath, The first thing we were to do is rest. We hadn't even done anything yet. In fact, it's God who did all the work. And then we got to rest. Second is we are not under the law to keep the Sabbath, but there are still principles that apply. So we are under the Old Testament law. We we don't have to take a Sabbath, but there's parts of it that that are very applicable. Uh, First of even in Exodus, when the Sabbath was mentioned, uh, it was mentioned in conjunction with nature. That there's something about nature and us getting to enjoy God's creation that is good and it's right. We even look at Romans 2, that scripture talks about that nature and creation itself speaks of God. Isaiah, in talking about the Sabbath, talks about that we should delight in that, that there's, that there's a joy for us. That Jesus talks about, right? That Jesus says that the Sabbath was made for us. It's not us for, that, for, us for the Sabbath. That this rest that we can do, that we can have, this intentionality, is, uh, is designed to give us a wholeness and a completeness. I, I think generally it, it's a bit of a reminder at least for me, when I Sabbath, that I am not as important as I think I am. Third, rest is hard work. Uh, When you think about rest, maybe what comes to your mind is uh, watching TV, playing video games, having a third glass of wine, zoning out, doing nothing, chilling, just, uh. but when we look at biblical Christian rest, or even even Christian leisure, there's a bit of work 
to it. it it's characterized by a celebration or, or an awe in who God is and what he's done in connecting relationships, relationships with each other and relationships to God. We have several friends that we get to hang out with often and uh, even this last week we had a dinner together. I so said we cooked dinner. I, that would make it sound like I did cooking and I didn't. I did eating. Uh, we hung out and we laughed and we talked and we challenged each other and said hard things and there was parts of it that were hard but it was good and fun and our souls found rest in that. You know, I love Psalm 46.10. You know the scripture. Be still and know that I am God. Uh, this be still, even in the Septuagint, was translated actually have leisure. That there's a, 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 the word actually means to stop thriving, to stop working, that there's a stillness there. We're not gonna camp out here on this intentional rest, this Sabbath-like rest, but I, I think it would be fair for all of us just to pause and say, hey, is that something that I need to incorporate in my life? Is there a time that we should stop working or maybe a time that we should stop wasting time and have some intentionality in our rest? Because it's not until we actually have rest in our souls that we can do this kind of rest. And so that's why we wanna talk about this rest for our souls, right? The second uh, type of rest, the rest that happens to us. John, I'm sorry, Joseph uh, Pfeiffer, German theologian, he writes this, leisure, it must be clearly understood, is a mental and spiritual attitude. It's not simply the result of external factors. It's not the inevitable result of spare time, a holiday, a weekend, or vacation. It is, in the first place, an attitude of mind, a condition of the soul. So as we look here at this condition of our soul, in Matthew 11. We're going to look at the five verbs here at the end of Matthew 11, 28 and 30. Five verbs are come, give, take, learn, and find. So let's start with come. So how do we do this? How do we come to Jesus? So let's look at context. If we look at the first part of this scripture, Jesus had gone to some other cities and they were not wanting to come. They weren't following him. So he says, woe to you. And he has all these city names that I can't pronounce, so I'm not going to. Uh, but he says, woe to these cities because if I were to perform these miracles, uh, you know, other people would repent and they still came to me, but you guys aren't repenting. But he says, but here's, here's who comes. At the same time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So no, these cities wouldn't come, but who does come? Little kids. Those are the kind of people that God has revealed himself to. People uh, who come like children. We also look at Mark 10, right, where Jesus says to come to me like a child. So it, it's fair for us to look at what are some of the characteristics of kids that Jesus might be referring to, right? Kids are dependent. They're humble. They're trusting. There's a, a, a 
purity of mind, so to speak. They're not pure. You guys know that with kids. But there's an innocence in how they approach life. They're sinful. They're accepting. They're open. Uh, they have a, I could say, a congruency of mind. That a, a kid, what they say and what they think and what they feel and what they do, it's all kind of one person. They're not trying to be somebody that they're not. They almost don't have the maturity in order to be able to do that. That there's a, a, a purity of, of a child, and again, I don't mean in a, in a non-sinful way, but an innocence of a child that, that uh, is a way to come to God. And I think it's fair for us to pause that if you're a, a believer in this room and you find yourself saying, hey, this condition of rest this condition of peace, I don't have it often. It might be fair to look at yourself and your life and look at perhaps characteristics of a kid or a child and say, is there something there that I don't have? Maybe it's humility. Maybe that, there's, that, that you care more about being right than you care about loving. Uh, maybe it's kind of this an acceptance. Are you, are you quick to forgive do you actually believe that you have a father that loves you, that, that you are enough, that God isn't out to get you? Maybe it's a the congruency of mind, that what you think about and, and what you believe and what you do, it, that you are all one person, that you don't have to act some way at church and then pretend to be somewhere else at another time, that you're just you. Because if you don't have that, it's real hard to have that peace. You don't have the congruency of mind. Uh, we talk oftentimes about a, a low anthropology, meaning that you think of yourself as less. And, and the reason you would do that is because you would need to think of God as more. If you think of yourself as more, you're going to stop, you're going to never be able to live up to yourself. So it, it's, not, it's, it's not just about having low thinking of yourself, but it's about having right thinking of yourself. Without that, and you know this, there's cultures and churches and places where uh, you have to, maybe you have to, it's expected in that culture to act better than you are. And that doesn't cause congruency of mind. It causes anxiety. It doesn't give you peace. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a sec. And that this, this scripture says is his gracious will. I think that's awesome, that, that this is God's will, and it's gracious to us. It's kind to us. So why would that be? Why would it be gracious for, for God to reveal himself to people who are, in a sense, like kids? I, I think of it, I have this geeky thing that I do, uh, which is go to, to Google Maps and Google Earth, the satellite view, and for whatever reason, I got super excited last night because I realized that Google had updated the satellite photo of my house. Now, it hasn't changed any. Like, it's the same house. Uh, but I'm like, oh, Heather, look, they updated the photo. And she goes, uh, okay. Like, no, 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 look, it's, no, it's, a, it's a new photo. And she's like, is it different? Well, yeah, how's it different? Well, uh, the trampoline was here, now it's here. Oh, okay, well, that's great. She had the right amount of awe in that. But w when you're on Google Maps, well, when you're in town, right, there's all different kinds of houses and places here in Tyler. You've got the, the, single wide with the, you know, uh, big old tractor uh, t 
tire with a planter in the middle of it and all of that kind of house. And then you also, you know, have a lot of suburbia houses and, and you've got even some country houses and you've got some people that, that spend a ridiculous amount of time and energy in the house and have 10,000 square feet and all kinds of stuff. But when you're on Google Maps and you, you kind of get high enough, at about the six, 7,000 foot level, they all kind of look the same. And it doesn't matter how much work is going on over here. Uh, up at this height, you know, they're just houses. That's a little bit about the gracious will of how we get to go to the Father. That all of this stuff you're doing, it doesn't really matter. Because that's not what brings us to God. He says, come to me. Who, who, who is this? All who labor and are heavy laden. So who are those that labor and are heavy laden? Well, it's all of us, if we're honest. It's anyone who's ever had a sleepless night. Anyone who's ever had kids that you just couldn't pray hard enough for. Or maybe as a kid, a parent, that you couldn't talk to or that you don't understand, doesn't understand you. Anyone that's ever received that phone call that just makes your body go numb. Everyone has been rest, restless on the inside. That's who is to come. It's the next verb, give. In fact, these next ones, give, take, learn, find, they're all uh, subordinate to come. It's, it's how we come. So give, well, this is a gift from God. This, uh, this peace, this rest, it's not something we can earn. It's something that's given to us. So, so we back up again and look at verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and, whom, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So it's God that does the revealing. We don't have to work to understand. There's, uh, this is in line with coming to God as a child. Like this is uh, not a, an advanced Christian like a, a Pharisee who would have a high anthropology, by the way, might have. Well, we don't have to be smart enough or educated enough or do good enough. We know God because he's revealed himself to us. And, and if you don't know God, if you're not a believer, that's where the right move is to simply ask him because we know that he generously gives to us. So it's not about being smarter or being more educated or learning more facts about God or studying theology. It's simply of saying, God, reveal yourself to me. Give me the faith to believe. And if you know someone else, who's not, if you know someone who's not a believer, and I, we all do, I hope you're praying for them. I hope your first stop is to say, Lord, help them believe. Give them eyes to see. Take. <laughs> Scripture, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. So this yoke, a, a yoke is a, it's a, it's a piece of wood that they would put on uh, oxen. There you go, right there. It's oxen. Is that the plural of ox? Is that right? It's not ox-eye? Oxygen? No, no. So m multiple oxes. Uh, 
uh, you, would, you would put the, this yoke on them, and it, what it would do is it would help them uh, work together, right? That this kind of yoke that, that Jesus is speaking of is smooth. But, but I, I like another picture. So I imagine um, like in like Switzerland or Sweden, they have those like blonde girls with the ponytails, and they, they put that thing with the two milk jugs on them. Do you know what I'm talking about in my head? Do we, uh, right there, yeah. Sorry, guys, that's not quite the same picture I described, I know. But <laughs> that, that yoke, right, that she wears, that it makes her, her workload light. That Jesus says, hey, my yoke, it's easy. Now, here's the thing that Jesus has done, and I love this. He, he's speaking to Pharisees right now who are in the audience. And the Pharisees, they, they actually had God's law, and they knew, hey, we're gonna keep this law. But not only are we gonna keep this law, they would add other things to it on top of that. And so they would say, if you wanna be a follower of God like we are, that this, this burden is gonna be really heavy. It's gonna be very hard. It's gonna be difficult, and you're destined to fail. And, but we're gonna pretend like we can't fail, or we're gonna pretend like we can do it. Uh, but this is a heavy burden, uh, an impossible task to do. And so Jesus, knowing that that's his audience, says, hey, you know what? My yoke, it's easy. It's light. Now, uh, what I'm gonna say here uh, next, it might make some of you go, yes. And it might make other you a little frustrated. That's okay. Because I think it's fair to wrestle with. Is that that Pharisaic Burden, the, the, the burden in order to, to do more and to try harder, it permeates our culture right here in East Texas. And it's all over. And it shows up sometimes really obvious and a lot of times it shows up very subtle. It shows up when uh, we say things like, hey, or you see, or you read the meme, or, or maybe you even see it on a church marquee somewhere. Hey, God died for you. At least you can do is live for him. Hold on, wait a second. What, what is that saying? It's saying that there's a, a burden of, uh, of I ought to be good enough. I ought to be more moral. Or even as people say things like, hey, oh yeah, him, he's a good Christian. Well, what do you mean by a good Christian? Are, are you meaning that he repents a lot and recognizes his sin? No, you probably mean he's kind of moral. And you're associating with being a Christian with being morality or, or doing a, or, a, or being good enough. It happens even the way we talk about a what would Jesus do? Come on, you can do it. You can be good. And it actually shows up. It shows up in churches. It shows up in conversations. It shows up in the, the, some of the books at the Christian bookstore. Praise God, it went out of business. Yeah, so it's all over. And in those types of places, our churches, it's not all bad. There's a lot of good stuff there. But there's also lies from the enemy that can permeate through those kind of places. In this kind of place, because we're not immune from sin. So what is our role as a church is to be on guard, is to ask for wisdom to ask for discernment, to do this in community so that when we see lies, when we see hypocrisy, 
and this works-based religion that can so easily sneak up because we're Americans and we do pick ourselves up from the bootstraps and we can make things done and it's a beautiful thing but when it becomes our theology and it becomes our God and it becomes why we think we're saved and why we think we're righteous and why we think we can have a relationship with God, then we're wrong and we're fools and we're lost. And so we need each other in order to wrap arms and say, hey, no, 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 that's not, that's not it. And I fall into it as well. I, I can tell you, my friends, Eric Barton, Matt McGill often, hey, Mike, that sounds like you think you're really important and God loves you because of how awesome you think you are. I'm like, ah, and I have to repent again. Be on, be on watch. Learn. You know, we're a Bible church. We get the value of learning about God, of reading our Bible. And when we do it, there's joy and there's freedom and there's peace. I, I haven't talked to anyone who's ever said, hey, this morning I got up and I opened my Bible and I read it and what a waste of time. No. Uh, if, if that's you, I'd love to visit with you about that. I, I haven't met anyone because there's something about when you open God's word and you learn and you read that it gives you a, a peace, a joy. Your perspective uh, becomes that of eternal, eternity. Uh, C.S. Lewis on his tombstone says, I believe in Christianity as I believe in the rising of the sun, not simply because I can see it, but because by it I can see everything else. that as we learn about God, we get an eternal perspective. And, and I even get to think that God who has all, uh, an infinite amount of himself and that he has an infinite amount of knowledge, that it, when we get to be with him for all eternity, get to continue for all eternity to learn more and more and more about him. And that's gonna continue to give us the peace and the joy. And then find. So how do you get this rest? You find it. You don't have to build it, create it, manage it. This kind of rest, it's almost to be discovered by coming. It, it can't be manufactured, but that your soul in itself can just find this peace this rest by coming to him. So what do we do? We come to him. In fact, let's read it again. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. If you're like me, there's some, not even days, but some moments where you feel that and you get that, that you kind of can go, the world is going crazy around me, but I can rest. I have the faith of a child because I know God loves me. I know he's got 
my best interest in mind and his best interest in mind and I get to be a part of that. And regardless of what's going on around here, regardless of how chaotic or nutso my life is, my soul is at rest and I'm thankful. And then there's moments <laughs> and maybe even the moments aren't in chaos. Maybe the moments is in a, are in a peaceful season in your life. Maybe things look great but your soul doesn't have rest and that there's turmoil and angst and frustrations and at those times we have to remind ourselves and remind each other God's in control he's got this we can be like a child with him and come to him again to return to him again or return to him for the first time and that's where our soul has rest Let's pray. Lord, I do pray for everyone here that you would give us rest for our souls. So I know that there are lots of us here who are heavy laden, who feel the weight. I pray that you would take that away and that we would clearly recognize who you are and who we are in light of all eternity. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Hey, please stand with me for a benediction. Also, Jim is right here. Uh, if you would like to pray with somebody or have someone pray over you, uh, Jim would love to do that. Uh, and it would be a, a treat for him and a treat for you. May the Lord give your soul rest. Amen. Go in peace.